Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining me as we break down all the market action, how's Thursday looking, Ryan Huang? Good morning. Looking pretty good, Michelle. How's your morning so far? Pretty good. It seems like everybody's in a good mood still. It's, uh, I don't know which of the 12th day of Christmas it is, but it still feels uh, like a, a happy time. Yeah, you've got that feeling in the air. And I think it's going to linger on for a good part of the beginning of the year as well. Just about two days away, at least for the weekend that's going to be coming soon, a long weekend. And it's sweater weather, so it's nice. Yeah, a wet morning for me at least. So <laughs> I think it's going to be a cool week. <laughs> All right, that's something to share. Let's start this morning in the world of electric vehicles. Now, if I asked you what is the world's most popular or best-selling EV company, you'd probably answer Tesla, and you would be correct. But that is all set to change, most likely when the stats come out for this current quarter. So who do you ask, who do you think is the next king of the EV world, the new king? Well, you don't have to look too far to figure that out. And I have to say it's a company that we've talked about before on this show. At least we've talked about Warren Buffett's interests in it. So which company is set to take over the EV mantle from Tesla? It's a three-letter word, B-Y-D. And it stands for Build Your Dreams. So this is the perhaps new poster boy for EVs in time to come. As you pointed out, it's been getting a lot of momentum this current quarter. It is looking set to become the turning point for BYD to overtake Tesla as the number one most popular EV maker. So good news for, I guess, the Chinese EV industry, which actually has been going on a bit of momentum for the past few years, building not just BYD, you've got NIO, you've got other brands as well. So it's a huge ecosystem that's been now producing the world number one. Yeah, and the name to keep in mind is billionaire Wang Chuanfu. He runs BYD. Now, many people don't realize this, but China is now one of the world's leading car exporters. In fact, it's already overtaken the US and South Korea in this arena and now trails only Japan. China has exported 3.6 million vehicles this year and more than a third of these are electric. So just what is driving BYD's business and how is it taking market share from Tesla? Yeah, I think it's a bit of this and that. So if we look at the main factors, I, I suppose price will be one of them. And prices are attractive for Chinese consumers. They've been priced at a lower price point versus, for example, Tesla, which is going to be a good deal for those who are thinking about transitioning to an EV. That would be something you could start with first. Mm-hmm. And of course... BYD itself is Chinese. So it's had already a long runway before Tesla even entered the Chinese market. So the brand recognition and the loyalty is going to be stronger in that sense. People might gravitate towards the Chinese brand, in China at least. So that's something that's going for them, uh, first mover advantage of sorts. So putting it together, these would probably be among the top reasons why BYD is eating up the pie from Tesla. BYD's competitive pricing could face a challenge from the US and Europe, which are planning to impose higher tariffs on Chinese cars. And while BYD is known for its inexpensive models, it has luxury offerings as well, including a sport utility vehicle that costs more than 1 million yen, or about 150,000 US dollars. Now, the head of BYD is Wang Chuanfu. Bloomberg estimates that Wang is worth nearly 15 billion US dollars. Now, that is a fraction of Elon Musk's 
wealth. And really, it seems that two EV CEOs, the two of them couldn't be more different chalk and cheese. Uh, one stays out of the limelight. You can't follow him on social mm. media. So what do you think? Uh, would you buy a BYD car or invest in the stock? Yeah, if you actually look into some of the stories that come up from the BYD background, uh, I suppose, um, side stories, you can actually find a few common threats between him, uh, the Tesla CEO, Elon Musk, mm-hmm. as well as the BYD CEO. So this mm. is quite interesting. So he's been, de- been described by um, some investors as a fanatic in terms of working overtime, 70-hour work weeks. And this is quite similar to the early days of Elon Musk sleeping on the factory floors of Tesla. Mm. And he's also gone through this at BYD, crunching out some of the stuff in the early days and now the fruits of his labor are showing. And in the early days of BYD, we had really, you might describe it as rudimentary, really boxy designs of cars is now become more polished. And one of the reasons why we are perhaps seeing that is the talent has been able to attract. The design department's been beefed up with some of the big names from other bigger companies like Audi and Alfa Romeo. So they have been able to attract a lot more talent in the pipeline. So as that continues to grow, it's going to threaten the other incumbents as well. Interesting. Uh, And both engineers, right? They come from that mindset. So BYD shares in the green for the year, up about 6.5%, but they have suffered a sell-off recently. They're down 17% over the past quarter. Tesla, by contrast, up nearly 9% over the past three months, and its stock has more than doubled since January. Mm, Seems investors are not too concerned, at least not yet, about BYD catching up to Tesla. All right, let's look at the markets now. U.S. stocks posted moderate gains overnight, but the upward momentum was still enough to push the Dow Jones Industrial Average into record territory. The Dow closed up 0.3% at 37,656. The Nasdaq and S&P 500, meanwhile, finished marginally higher overnight. S&P 500 now just one-third of a percent below its record high. finished the session around 4,780 level. Now, across Wall Street and beyond, analysts are staking out their claims for where the benchmark index will finish a year from now. One of the more bullish predictions came from Yardeni Research. They expect the S&P 500 to hit 5,400. It's about 12% above today's level. And it expects the blue chip index to enjoy double-digit gains again in 2025 to hit the 6,000 mark. In fact, the company's president, Ed Yardeni, has set out a dozen reasons to explain why he's bullish. Uh, what are a couple of the arguments from Yardeni that you think are the most persuasive? Yeah, he is putting a target of 5,400. So bear in mind, it is now at just slightly under 4,800. So he's pretty optimistic. So among the reasons he has outlined, um, I would just pick a couple. Among them, interest rates going back to normal. It's been dubbed next year as the year of normalization, where mm-hmm. rates are starting to go back to where they were in the years before. I guess the question is how soon and how fast? So that's a big question that we'll have to see when, because you've got a range of opinions. One, for example, is how rate cuts could come as early as March. And you've got a Fed saying we might get three rate cuts. You've got a market pricing in five to six rate cuts. So that's a bit divided, but it is gradually moving to a scenario. And the good news is if you have that scenario, then the so-called hard landing 
recession is not going to be as um, a, a probability, a high probability as before. So that's good news for everyone's confidence, especially businesses as they plan for the years ahead. Mm-hmm. So that's one. All right, the other one I've got my eye on is his eye on housing. He is talking about a housing recovery and this will come with the plunge in interest rates as we see more folks being able to afford a bit more buying property with mortgage rates becoming lower, then that's going to be a boost for all things. Um, not having to spend as much as on housing, you can spend it elsewhere. So good news for the economy. And another one is on how the high-tech revolution is boosting productivity. And I think to some extent, we've already experienced how AI, chatbots, all these fancy stuff that's been making the news these days are helping us in ways that just make things more efficient, like crafting your speeches, coming out of your PowerPoint presentations, that sort of thing. So that's going to help with the, uh, I guess, productivity equation, mm-hmm. making it more efficient. And to some extent, it might improve the margins for companies. So it's going to mean earnings growth next year, perhaps. Interesting. You're Danny also noting that new orders for construction machinery in the US are up 30% over the past two years. That's a bullish sign and is due to Biden's infrastructure program, remember, as well as increased government spending and onshoring by US companies moving their production and supply lines back to the US. Now, given that the S&P 500 has risen 25% this year amid rising interest rates, a 10 to 12% rise in 2024 almost seems cautious. So what do you think? Could US stocks perform even better in the year ahead than Yadeni predicts? Or could we be looking at this all wrong? And is a bubble forming that's ready to pop? Yeah, that's the big question right now. If you look at some of the indicators, you've got at least 90% of the S&P 500 trading above their 50-day moving averages. Some people might say, hey, it's looking a bit overbought. But it's been... No, something we've gone through before. People warning that things have been overbought and then it goes even higher at some stage, building on the fundamentals. I think that's what's important here, to look at the fundamentals to understand if it's building on anything solid. Is there solid ground supporting what's to come? And among the reasons we've been talking about, there seems to be a compelling argument that, hey, next year is going to be better. You've got rates becoming lower. You've got the probability of recession becoming or not so probable. So all these reasons are going to support a stronger year ahead. So I'm looking quite optimistic of what's to come. So looking ahead, it is possible we could see some of these optimistic predictions coming true. All right, that's something to look forward to. Blowout 2024. Let's shift now back to China. We've been talking this week about how a proposal for new regulations that would place curbs on online gaming prompted a huge sell-off of Chinese tech shares on Friday. Now, since then, regulators and tech companies have been trying to win investors back by announcing new game approvals and share buybacks. So what exactly did investors think of all this? Well, the Hong Kong Stock Exchange reopened yesterday. This following a four day Christmas and Boxing Day weekend. So what's the verdict there? Yeah, we've got a bit of a turnaround in sentiment. So you could perhaps put it down to a knee-jerk reaction in the immediate um, hours or at least the day of the announcement when we had the so-called perceived crackdown. And then things started to soften in terms of the perceived stance from the Chinese regulator. And now we've got stocks jumping up again. For example, NetEase jumped as much as 
14% in early trading. And this is NetEase now finishing Wednesday up 11.9% after plunging about 25% on Friday. And Tencent also joining the bandwagon up 4%. And this is after a rout on Friday as well. So shares were down 10% last Friday. So a sign perhaps that things are starting to turn when it comes to uh, where things are going. And the Chinese regulator has come out to say that it will carefully study the concerns of all stakeholders on the draft rules. Mm-mm. So I'm not sure whether it was bargain hunting, maybe it was enthusiasm over those share buyback plans or that approval of more than 100 new games in China. But investors showed their approval yesterday. Net e surged as much as 14% in intraday trade. Billy Billy jumped almost 7%. Tencent rose 4%. Let's look at things that are moving in the corporate world, moving up or down. Let's start with SoftBank. All right, SoftBank is getting a bit of a windfall. And this, I suppose, might surprise investors. So it is getting $7.6 billion in terms of the, um, I guess, value of shares it's getting from T-Mobile. So this is part of an earlier agreement. Some of the conditions is set out for the merger between SoftBank's US Telco, Sprint, and T-Mobile. So some of the conditions were met now it is calling on T-Mobile to issue shares to the tune of that price, $7.6 billion. Wow. So Masayoshi Sun SoftBank has received that $7 billion US dollar windfall thanks to the merger of two US telcos, T-Mobile and Sprint. SoftBank owns Sprint. The deal was announced over a year ago, but T-Mobile now has to issue SoftBank 7.5 billion shares Billion dollars worth of new shares, I should say, at no additional cost as part of the deal. So I see that as an up for SoftBank too. Let's look at Microsoft and OpenAI. Now, that's the company that makes chat GPT. I think we're going to see more of these kind of attempted suits. What do you think? Yeah, so it really comes down to intellectual property. So the New York Times is suing both of them, Microsoft and OpenAI, for what they perceive to be violating their IP, pretty much copyright issues and how it works as you imagine you know, ChatGPT scrapes the internet for all the information out there and a lot of information comes from news articles. A lot of these news articles, the New York Times says, belongs to them, millions of them. And when ChatGPT responds to you with an answer, they say a lot of it comes from their hard work, the due diligence, the research, the double checking, the due, whatever goes into writing an article. Mm-hmm. It takes money, it takes effort. And they say, you know, Microsoft and OpenAI are just taking a free ride on all the work they've done and monetizing it to sell. So they are not happy with how this is playing out. And this diverts, to some extent, the clicks they might get for people trying to find answers alternatively. Before ChatGPT was around, they might search on Google, like, how do I cook an egg? But now if you ask ChatGPT, they will just give you straight up with all the advertisements and the other stuff that New York Times might want you to see. Mm, interesting. So, uh, to sum up, NYT is suing Microsoft and OpenAI, accusing them of mass copyright infringement, saying they should be held responsible for billions of dollars in statutory and 
actual damage, although I have to say no monetary sum has been set in the lawsuit yet, not from what I've seen. Shares of the New York Times rose nearly 3% overnight. They're trading up another percent in after-hours action. Now, before we move on, it is worth noting that Apple has reportedly opened multi-billion dollar negotiations with several major media and publishing outlets as it looks for its content to train its artificial intelligence system. There have been no major changes to Siri in years and Apple is now playing catch-up. But apparently it's taking a leaf, learning a lesson from Microsoft land and it's seeking to gain publishers' permission to use their content before training its AI. Next up, let's look at Amazon. All right, Amazon's going to be an up for me, but it's giving me mixed feelings. <laughs> so this is because it is set to charge folks extra money in order to avoid ads. Two ninety nine per month. So right now, Amazon Prime Video viewers can, well enjoy an ad-free experience but if they want that to continue they've got to fork up the cash and it is I guess a bit ironic right mm. when streaming came on it was a way to get away from the ads you were stuck with right and now you got to pay for it <laughs> we are back to square one after again after they've hooked you on the experience well, it's going to offer premium ad-free service. Two ninety-nine doesn't sound like much. It might raise more revenue for Amazon. I think it makes their channel less attractive. In fact, I'm thinking, I might cancel my subscription. When was the last time I used my Amazon Prime? Uh, so I'm going to give Amazon a down because I think this is going to prompt a lot of people to rethink whether or not they need the channel in the first place. All right, let's look at Apple. All right, Apple is going to be an up for me. It has got, uh, I suppose, an extension of time. Uh, we were talking about this yesterday. The Apple Watch just seeing some bad fortune of sorts because it had some um, issues with its patents around the blood sensors, blood oxygen sensors. So that saw the US International Trade Commission banning it from being sold because it violated a um, medical technology company, Massimo's IP. Well, they've managed to go to the appeals court to get a stay on the ban. So that's the latest. They managed to get a bit of a reprieve to, to continue selling mm. the, the stuff, uh, their watches in the US. So hopefully they reach a bit of an agreement. But I have to say, this is an, a very interesting backstory behind the entire saga because Apple has also been accused of hiring slash poaching mm. some of the engineers from Massimo before this entire episode played out. And then the engineers tried to rush Apple to file some of the patents. So you've got this in the backdrop of a potential Netflix story as well. Oh. And now you've got um, both of them seeing each other uh, on the legal circuit. So That's who knows idea, how right? this is going to play out. You might want to get into documentary content production. That sounds great. I'd watch that. So Apple's won a reprieve in the patent infringement case against it. And a US judge has ruled Apple can resume sales of all its Apple Watches pending that appeal. Definitely an up for Apple. As well as for, you know, owners of the older 6, 7 and 8 Apple Watches, they couldn't receive their hardware repairs as long as the ban on Apple Watches were in place. Can you imagine? So this is an up for Apple but a down for Massimo Medical. That's the company whose blood oxygen technology Apple allegedly used. Massimo shares fell 4.5% overnight. Let's look at the biotech company, Cytokinetics. All right, Cytokinetics has some good news. And this is around its heart 
hemophilia drug, which mm. is seen to improve exercise capacity. So this is part of a phase 3 trial, which is being described as very pivotal. And the good news is that it's past the, um, I guess, test. And it's now sending a lot of confidence among investors to support the share price up more than 50% in pre-market trading. Wow, it's a once-daily pill they've come up with to help people with a genetic disease, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, uh, a disease that affects as many as 1 in 500 people, uh, involving the thickening of heart muscles that interferes with heart movement, heart pumping. This is an experimental drug, and the latest studies appear encouraging. Psychokinetics shares surge more than 80% overnight. Our last entry today, Ryan, is Comfort Delgro. All right, it's going to be an up for me because mm. they are taking more money from cabbies. And then, of course, that will be us as well down the road. <laughs> so they are going to expect cabbies to pay more commission to them come January. I suppose this is something that would be coming soon enough because of all the higher costs of operations, all the overheads, everything coming together to require um, ComfortDelGro to charge more. And cabbies will have to fork more from January onwards. Let's look at the figures. So ComfortDelGro raising the commission it takes from taxi drivers from 5 to 7% starting the 1st of January 2024. And that commission applies to all rides booked on its app or by phone. ComfortDelGro says it needs this higher commission to cover operation costs and pay for those tech upgrades that we all benefit from. All the same, I don't like taxi drivers being charged more. I think they already have enough costs. I certainly hope this doesn't lead more taxi drivers to spend much longer on the roads than they have to in order to recoup their costs because that impacts all of us on roads, more tired drivers. So I'm going to give Comfort Delgro a down. Thank you very much. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.